Test. Test, test. So the thing we hate, mail-in tournaments and stuff where the shooting time is optional. Right. Yeah, it kind of bothers me where, you know, especially in a professional class, anyone can just show up and shoot at any time. Mm-hmm. It's a complete abomination outdoors. Indoors, it's bad enough. You should be shooting next to your opponents. You mean as opposed to, say, U.S. Indoor Nationals, where it's basically a big mail match? Yeah. I mean, that one, that's one, you know, that's one in the same as what I'm talking about here, essentially, because you don't stand next to the guy and shoot with him anyways. You shot the Idaho uh, I shot. State. I shot the Utah State. Oh, the Utah State. 24. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you end up? I tied for first with three other people because they have first place ties there. How can you have first place ties? Um, because none of us shot at the same time, right? It wasn't a prescribed shooting time. And it's a one-day thing. Come shoot one round one day on either of these two days and there's like seven different line times and oh since you guys aren't going to be here all at the same time if you tie with a perfect score we'll just give you all the first place title well everybody can be happy i don't know i now you have seven guys walking around calling themselves state champion i'm gonna go find them we're all gonna shoot it off okay i like that idea no it's two other guys i know real well good dudes but i i'm just not a fan of I'm not a fan of the mail-in tournament or the tournament that can end in a tie, any sport that can end in a tie. Soccer or football, as many of our listeners might say, should always go to the penalty shootout. There should be no ties. I hate ties. There's a better way to do it, right? Because they do it in a point system. A win is three points. A tie is one point. Okay, so if you tie at the end of regulation, give each team one point. The winner of the penalty shootout, give them a half point or a point. You know, Give them another one. There should be some differentiation so that the fans who watch the sport don't feel like they just saw someone kiss their sister. Because mm. that's what a tie is. A tie is like that. All right. Hey, by the way, I'm George Tekmachev with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another recent podcast. Against all odds, we're back. <laughs> and I'm back from Turkey, uh, where I just came back from the World Indoor. Took my requisite face plant at De Gaulle Airport coming off the plane. <laughs> literally dude i'm stepping off the plane i go down the hall about 100 yards you know toward the connection thing right actually i ended up staying at the gall overnight tripped on the little spacer between the carpet and the linoleum and full on wham face first so did you land on linoleum or carpet linoleum i slid about three yards did it make like squeaking noises like basketball it almost would have but you know i was wearing my easton vest which is Mm, you know a nice fleecy material and it just slid dude (laughs) because the only way it could be more embarrassing is if it made the squeaky noises and people turned and saw your face just sliding along linoleum yeah the only thing that would be more embarrassing was anybody i knew was in that group of about right. 50 people behind me when I did this. So. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, nothing can be that embarrassing because you go, ah, I'll never see these people again in Exactly, my life. but I ended up bouncing up off the... Well, no, it took me a little while to get up, actually. <laughs> and I didn't exacerbate the back thing, so that was kind of cool, you know? That's could've good, been, yeah. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Woke up with a heck of a kink in my neck, though. Could just blame the hotel pillows. It was the hotel pillow. I stayed at that probably the most expensive room I've ever paid for myself in my life. It was like 325 euro. To stay at De Gaulle Airport overnight. Oh. But it was way better than, you know, trying to camp out in the Air France Lounge or something. Right. Yeah. That Sheraton there. It's a nice hotel for an airport hotel, but be expensive. Interesting. All right. Anyways, on to uh, the World Archery Indoor Championship recap. Yeah. This was a pretty big event for for Italy. I mean, they did pretty well. 
Yeah. A lot of medals. They, they won 10 medals. Um, two individual golds for the, uh, you know, the individual, one individual silver, one bronze, and then three golds for the team, one silver, one, two bronzes. So, um, you know, five golds, two silvers, three bronzes, 10 medals. That's pretty, pretty solid. Second in the ranking was Germany. Germany took the second most number of medals. And our buddy Lisa Unruh. Your prediction to win. Yes, it was. So I'm pretty happy. You to got see one right. I did get one right. Um, most of the others were wrong, but I did get one right. Yeah, I think I was way off on most of mine. But. Albina Loganova made it to the final, yep. but did not have a good result in the final. She's injured, it turns out. She's actually hurt shoulder and neck and um you know i thought i was looking at a case of the yips and it wasn't it was pain uh so yeah they thought it would be best to have her shoot then according to those in the know her previous coach who she's not working with at the moment um thought that having her shoot a thousand arrows a day blank bail was a really great idea i haven't shot a thousand arrows this year i know i'm just saying okay (laughs) albina you know is a strong woman right yeah she's she's right up there in terms of of draw length and strength and all that stuff but you shoot a thousand arrows a day it's going to take a toll homie don't play that game so she's hurt she is actually hurt which um, that sucks made me feel really bad you know to hear about that because she's such a nice person yep and doesn't deserve that kind of thing um you know it took out her her previous teammate sofia goncharova had to retire because of injury and same deal um Mm. so i'm hoping that uh albina uh, is fit for the outdoor season, but she had a lot of trouble at that final. Uh, but she made it to the final, which is awesome. Took the silver medal. Yep. So the Russian Federation was the third-ranked team. <clears throat> Chinese Taipei, which had a lot of juniors at this event, um, you know, the future of our sport. Chinese Taipei was fourth, tied with France for the medal count. And then we had Denmark and then Turkey and Ukraine all taking the same number of medals. Our girls from Japan took the uh, women's recurve title. I saw that one. I, I seem to recall possibly predicting that one too so oh you did yes yes so uh i was happy to see that um hungary mexico did well poland usa um usa pulled out a silver and a bronze a couple bronzes so not bad team usa good tournament for a couple of uh, young girls that are up and coming um that uh that seem like they've got some potential in the compound ranks so it'll be interesting to see how that goes an interesting comment um one of the u.s team members at dinner looked across the i wasn't sitting with them but the, you know they, they looked across the aisle there and said you're scaring the heck out of our recurve boys and i'm like what do you mean oh when you're doing the announcements you're saying things like well that's going to be a practice set now because the other guy he's you know already been eliminated for this particular set and they're afraid you're going to talk about them like that <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny <laughs> A little well, bit of fear is a good thing. Sometimes you got to get thrown in the fire to see how well you burn. Well, you, know? you know, I didn't. I wasn't being mean about it. No, it's just a, it's obviously a, you're going to point announcing. out when somebody has clinched a set. You know, right? Like they shot ten, 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 and the other guy shot a nine, nine. It's irrelevant. At that that last arrow is a practice arrow. I'm sorry. Straight up. So you know, I'm just explaining that to the crowd that might nah. not know, and and the kids didn't like that. Well, so. they're young. You know, they haven't probably been in the spotlight a whole lot. True enough. So, Jorge Ivansky and Sergei Mark, uh, Makarovich uh, of Ukraine, these two guys, Sergei in particular, this was Sergei's second international tournament in the recurve uh, ranks, and he took the, the silver. Jorge, who we've seen around a few times, he took the gold. He's the George of Ukraine. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's his name. So, Jorge. 
<laughs> I like that one. Our Brady Ellison um, had a disappointing semifinal. I don't know what happened there, but he was um, he was holding for a real long time. Yeah. And um, so, you know, Brady was shooting brilliantly, number one in qualification, but had a case of something or other kick in during the semifinal. He was holding for 10 seconds at a time. You know, and He's been on a roll this end oh, of yeah. season. Wow. You know what it is? I, and, you know, he shot, I think, a point shy of the world record for the qualifying round. And, you know, like you said, he's been on a roll. He looks better than ever. He's he's in a solid place in his life. I just think he's, um, you know, he was under some pressure, and it was what it was. But he took the bronze medal decisively. Uh, our buddy Lisa Unruh, uh, solid performance, took the gold, um, you know, very convincingly. You know, started out a little slow, but then just became invincible. Yeah, the she's uh I will say about Lisa, she's never going to give you a bad performance, no. I don't think. You know, and, you know, and this was, and I'm going to say this, going to be a little controversial, but this is in spite of the fact that the judge on the line, the line judge, was, I'll just say he made a serious, serious mistake. He went and pulled out a freaking red card on her because she stepped up to the line. He must have thought she was in team mode or something same thing they did remember what happened to Braden Galantine I vaguely remember that yeah vaguely remember that yeah the judge freaking pulls out a red card starts arguing with Lisa that she's got to step back across well Lisa didn't you know she wasn't going to take any of that she just got up there and shot her arrow she only had about seven seconds left in that first arrow but it didn't affect her because I don't know what would happen if she weren't as experienced a competitor as she is but we had a lot of judging stuff going on at this particular time so the judge the judge blew it yeah, spectacularly. Hmm. Yeah, in a big way. And um, I don't know what, what the deal was, but you know, I've never heard so many shooter complaints about judging at any event before in my life. Wow. I mean, we're talking about people that you and I know and trust, talking about arrow calls that were called in that were nowhere near in and vice versa. Hmm. And, you know, I just, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, 2014, there was a lot of... Uh, blatant mistakes by judges in neem uh well just in in events throughout you oh. know throughout especially i remember a few during outdoor world cup specifically and it was addressed in a in a pdf document that was downloadable on world archery's website um you know in a judges meeting essentially and 2015 you know i went to virtually every world archery event and thought they did a great job yeah so i think it's f- typically i feel that yeah. way too i mean you know every once in a while i see a judge i remember a few i'll put it this way it's few and far between enough that it's a great story <laughs> when it happens when it happens right i remember <laughs> yeah. a few years ago a, a well-known judge you know red carded a shooter she shot her arrow well before the end of the time limit and she got red carded i mean big mistake on the part of the judge but right. you know and and you know in my opinion um, that's not terribly forgivable, but at this tournament, there was just a ton of complaints from the shooters, mm-hmm. and and these aren't the usual suspect shooters that like to gripe about stuff. This is this is people who don't ever complain about things, mm. and I saw some stuff myself that made me go, huh, you know. I mean, you know, I've I've spent some time behind a spotting scope, and I can tell you, if an arrow is a nine, it's definitely a nine when there's lots of daylight between it and the ring, and then it got gets called in magically the, the judgment went a little too far uh-huh especially when it's me and two other spotters both of whom are very experienced and it's like hmm wow. that was interesting huh. and that one you know that had a big outcome i'll have to check out one. the videos yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah yeah but without getting into that you know I, I super important the judges do their job right these days because there's only one call 
Back to the women's that, yeah. recurve. Claudia Mandia. Yeah, I had her picked. Yeah. That was one of my picks. Yeah, bronze medal. Yep. Did all right. I think she actually might have beaten Max this time around, too. So we're having fun with that. We'll have to check. Um, David Pasqualucci, who is um, said to be one of the guys that will be at the Rio Games, uh, along with uh, probably Mauro Nespoli uh, for Italy. That's uh, the third person to be determined, as it were. Uh, no one seems to know who that might be. I'm hoping it's Max Mandia personally because I think Max has shown a great work ethic in the last 18 months and deserves it. But uh, you know the the team there is um, composed of people with more um, more depth. Dan Olaru was silver medalist. Dan, a lot of people remember him from his surprise performance at the London Olympic Games. Oh, I remember him from that. Yeah, <laughs> can't forget him because we keep hearing about it from his from his manager. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, uh, and he did guy. well at Outdoor Worlds this yes, year. Yes, he too. did. Yes, oh, he did. I will give him that. No, he's a good shooter. Yeah, he's doing good. Rock Bizjack from Slovenia. What a name! Yeah, Rock Bizjack. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need a nickname. He's got one. His name is a nickname. He should be in low budget action films. Absolutely, <laughs> starring Rock Big Jack. You know, it's like <laughs> you couldn't make up a name like that. For the juniors, you know, all of these kids, um, you know, except for uh, Tatiana Andreoli from Italy, uh, most of these kids are uh, are fresh. So, um, you know, Chinese Taipei has two kids, one gold, one bronze in the recurve junior women that did really well. And um, I expect we'll see them in the future, you know. Recurve men's teams, Florian Floto, Florian Calland, and Carlos Schmitz from Germany took the gold and... Uh, our buddy Olivier Tavernier from uh, France led the French team to their sil- silver medal final. Um, and the Russian team took uh, took third with uh, Alexander Kozin kind of leading it up. off the team. Been ripping it up, exactly. So our gold medal for the recurve women, that's Japan with uh, Kaori, the uh, princess from Totori. That's her new archery name, uh, Totori Himi. That uh, that was the leader for the uh, the team that took the uh, gold medal along with Rina Sugibayashi and Tomomi Sugimoto, who are a couple of high school students. And then um, the Polish team with uh, fairly experienced uh, Natalia Lesniak and Karina Lipiarska and Violeta Misor. You know, they've been around for a long time. They took silver. Bronze medal, um, again, a pretty experienced team, team from Georgia. So Yulia Lobanitsi and uh, Christina Sabua and Katuna Narabanitsi, who some of whom we'll see in in Rio, no doubt. For the recurve junior men, um, again, you know, the Italians, the medal hall went to them. Turkey was second, and boy, that crowd really got into it in that gold medal final. Turkey was, was uh, there was a lot of cheering for Turkey. Big crowd? Big crowd by world indoor standards. Okay. Not as big as Neem, right? but a big crowd by world indoor standards. Uh, comparable at least to what we had in Vegas before. So, you know, from that point of view. Uh, junior recurve women was uh, Italy again, Chinese Taipei, and then Russia. Compound men, um, Seb Peno, who's uh, gone pro, you know, go pro or go home. <laughs> I don't know why it's a big deal to world archery that he's gone pro. They're doing all kinds of stories about Seb Peno going pro. But, you know, Seb is uh, Seb's uh, on, on point there. He shot really well against Mike Schlusser. Mike, Mike actually shot well. You know, Seb outshot him. Um but Mike, Mike looked better than I've seen him in a while. And then we've got this new guy uh, who's been shooting for two years, Omid Tahiri from Iran, 
It's got a crazy follow through. I mean, it, <laughs> talk about throwing English on the thing. My word, you know. Rio Wild came up to me and said, that guy threw me off. Because <laughs> the guy goes through some gyrations after the shot. Just, you know, just, you know, kind of stuff going on. I mean. I saw what you were doing there. Eight inches no one ahead listening movement. to this yeah. did. Eight inches ahead movement on every shot. So, yeah. Um, Iran's had some good shooters. Though. Oh, I mean, they got yeah. some guys who can. Here's the thing. Most of them are, they are punching the hell out of it. Yep. And when they're on, they're on. And when they're not, it gets ugly. Yeah, same for this particular fellow. Well, he He's a absolute puncher, but, you know, he had the wrist strap and everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like you said, when they're on, they're on. And he had his had his moment in the sun there. For the compound women, Irene Franchini of Italy. And Albina was second. Um, you know, again, Albina's going through some problems physically. She's got a lot of pain in her neck and uh, shoulder. And then you had Sarah Preels from Belgium who um, pulled out a clutch performance, quite frankly, against uh, our, our friend Toya Cern. Uh, Toya just did not connect with the 10 ring. Saw that, yeah. It was just not, it was not like her, um, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, the, 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 the venue is about as good a venue as I've ever seen. It was really nice. It looked incredible. Anchor is a beautiful city. Yeah. I'd never been there, and, and it was a gorgeous city. Uh, um, uh, Rod sent me, Rod Menzer sent me photos, and I was jealous I wasn't there. I'd go back. Yep. It was really nice. Talk about temperature swings, though. We had 70 degrees one day, and the next morning, people scraping uh, ice off their cars. So it's up It's up there in the mountains. Um, the compound Juniors, um, Victor Oros from Hungary, that's a that's a back-to-back indoor worlds for him. I've for seen, the compound juniors. I've seen, I, have, I can't say I recognize the name. But I do recognize a Hungarian shooter. Yeah, you know? so he's seen him at a, a number of events. Now. He's he's good. He's very good. Uh, Christos Erikos. When you look at this guy, you go, he's a junior. You know, he's one of these, you know, six foot six, got a full beard kind of guys, right? But yeah, he's a junior. Oh, well, I was six foot six. Yeah, but yeah. I still can't grow a full beard. But you so. still look all of seventeen, so it's all right. <laughs> Not and, anymore. Uh, Anton Buleyev from Russia was third. Um, for the compound juniors, uh, do you know Lucia Chavaria? Do you know her at all? No. So uh, I wouldn't say she came out of nowhere, but, uh, you know, from Mexico. Obviously, Mexico's got some depth and talent there. Cassidy Cox of the United States of America pretty much handed her the the gold, though, because Cassidy had a misload and uh, did not get the shot off in time. I heard. So she was down yeah. 10 and, uh, and, and, and composed herself very well, in my opinion. And then uh, a, a new girl, Athena uh, Kaiopoulos, who I once mistakenly, because that's such a Greek name. I, I've got a first cousin in Greece named Athena, and I, I kept saying that she's from Greece. <laughs> I felt bad about it. She's an American. Yeah, and, I um, think she's from California. Probably. And, no, I um, know for sure. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, there was that. And, uh, you know, the compound men's teams, Sergio Pagni led the, uh, led the boys from Italy doing his normal nice and smooth thing. They beat the Vikings from Denmark. That... To me, that's uh, that's an upset. But you know what, Luigi Dragoni has been ripping it up since Absolutely. he switched to Hoyt. Yeah, there's your Hoyt plug for the for the week. But since he made this, oh, I won't say that. Since he changed bow choices, yeah, uh, it's he, been a positive thing. For yeah, him. like whatever. Maybe I don't know. Sometimes it's just placebo. You know, guy gets it in his head that this is better for him, and just starts killing it or well, maybe he found something that just works for him. You know? I don't want to get all controversial here, but I'll just say that most of the really good guys that you and I know that have switched bow sponsors this year, it just has not been working out. 
I mean, I'm sorry. It just has not. And we're talking about people who, you know, were on top of the leaderboard time after time. They, they switched both sponsors, no other variables, and it ain't working yet. Yet is the operative term, mm-hmm. but not working. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, but Luigi has been pounding. I mean, the guy was, he was probably a, a high 580s guy. And mm-hmm. then this year, I mean, he shot a 596 qualifier. He shot a 296 and a 300. So Den- killing yeah, it. yeah, yeah, solid. You know, and Denmark, <laughs> uh, Denmark was second, and uh, France was third with Sebastian and uh, Jean-Philippe Bulch and Fabien Delobel. Mm-hmm. So the compound women, um, you know, gold medal was Tanya Jensen from Denmark and Erica Anir, uh, formerly from Australia, now Denmark, and then uh, the big winner from the Vegas uh, World Cup final, which was uh, Sarah Sonnexson. Yeah, and that I think you'll see that team winning a lot this year. Those three make a pretty strong trio i think they probably and they compete very well individually but i think they compete even better as a team i'm going to predict that they're going to win a lot i'm going to i'm going to predict well i don't know what they're going to be at as a team but whatever they're at i'm going to say they get in the gold medal final as a team russia was uh second for the compound women's teams and then we had italy third and then for the compound junior men it was uh russia Italy and Australia, self-funded team from uh, from Oz did wow. pretty well there. Yeah. That was a little bit of a surprise, I think, but uh, they did very well. It's always a surprise. Yeah, I mean, rarely do I, rarely do you see a full Australian team, and they generally always are self-funded if they have a boat with wheels on it. And then um, the compound junior women's team, as uh, Turkey taking first place there, uh, Russia was second. And Italy was third. And um, at the risk of inciting some controversy, I will just say, watch that match and watch the, the last end. The gold medal match? Uh-huh. And of compound junior women? Well, let's just say that, in my opinion, uh, a shoot-off would have been the normal outcome. But an arrow got called in, and so no shoot-off was required. Turkey home, won. Home court advantage. I don't know because it wasn't a Turkish judge making the call by any means, but uh, but yeah, that one made me scratch my head, and everybody else was scratching their head too. But the Turks were very excited about it. You can't <laughs> blame them. All right, so so there it was. You know, it was uh, a world championship that was a little diminished by the by the uh, numbers. We had uh, uh, 144 men and 118 women for a total of 262 competitors, which is probably off by about 100 from the previous indoor worlds. Um, there were no issues. Ankara was a lovely city. Security was was tight, but not oppressive. I know there's a fine line there. You don't you didn't see people walking around with automatic weapons. Um, you know, security got tighter toward the end of the week. We had the president of the IOC there, Thomas Bach. So talk about a you know opportunity to show our sport at the highest level in the Olympic uh, movement, having the having the president of the IOC there along with our World Archery President and IOC member, Professor Dr. Mm. Erdner. Um, it was a great honor for, for Professor Bach to fly out and, uh, and watch uh, what he did watch, and um, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I, I know at the you're, risk of being controversial, there was like 35 compound men and 30, uh, 28 compound women. I, I it was a very low number. I, I know where me, you're going with this. You know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great representation of the – world championship i won't argue that but it is the world championship and every one of those people is a world champion and oh, deserved most definitely. what they did yeah they're all capable shooters no doubt yeah it's just disappointing that the numbers were not what they could have been 
especially since, and I got to say this, this is the best run tournament. The Turks, you know this, the Turkish Federation, they put out the dog, man. They really do a great job. You know, red carpet treatment for the athletes mm-hmm. and uh, and first-rate volunteers, first-rate venue, first-rate in every possible way. So it's a little heartbreaking that, you know, it didn't have the full turnout that you might have hoped for for an event like this. As it turns out, if you stayed home, you lost out. Yeah, I, I can see that, you know. Just but hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't blame anybody for not wanting to go. It's just, you know, I was perfectly secure the whole time. I didn't have any problems, and, uh, you know, not once did I, you know, feel like, oh, this is sketchy. It was not that. Right. It wasn't like that at all. So it would be it actually I mean, I, awesome. I hate to go. say this, but because it, it doesn't work out, and it's wrong to do this, but it would be nice if there were some required tournaments for every country to at least send a team to. You know, and it's hard to do. It's hard to manage and say, okay, Korea, you've got to send a team to World Indoors or you can't have a team at the Olympics. You know, how do you really do that? And then and then have everyone feel good about it. Yeah, well, you can't. I mean, no. you just can't. Plus, not everybody's got the same budget. I mean, the Americans that went right. paid for paid their own way. Yeah, it every was one of them. Self-funded. Every single one of them. Recurves included. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so, you know, good on you, everybody, for... That, that went and um, for those of you who didn't go uh, you didn't make the right choice <laughs> <laughs> simple as that we'll just leave it at that hey we've got a, a pile of uh, questions from our listeners since we don't want to go too long with this podcast today we'll just jump into that is it okay with you I see you got one there yeah I've, I, I'm going to save this one for last alright so um, I'll start out with uh, this one here uh, Justin loves the podcast keep them trying to shoot more competitively than just weekly league and it's wondering if either of us has tips to help step up his game. So how do you step up your game, Justin? Start betting with your with your uh, companion shooters for something insignificant. Put a little pressure on the thing. Don't just just don't just get up there and shoot. Shoot for something. Shoot for a soda. Yeah, I I like to bet something fairly significant actually. <laughs> well, like, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, if you're uncomfortable losing it, then it's more valuable practice you know but so, uh, i mean the weekly league is one thing I, I mean i'm assuming you're looking at progressing towards more you know major competitions but so i would just say go take your lumps you know go shoot them because the, like what i tell a lot of people the first year you go to a major tournament like vegas it's hard so don't prepare for that just go and get the first year out the way you know but that's my uh that's my thing for yeah but other than that what george said is is really the only way you can take daily practice and make it meaningful it's the easiest way especially yeah. if you've got friends that you shoot with make it make it mean something and i'm I, you know listen i used to shoot every day with don rabska in mary easton uh, jim's mother's front lawn 100 yards you know out there and and Cena would go there at lunchtime we never ever just shot we always put something on the line right you know a, a beer whatever right i probably still owe don about 50 beers by the way. but <laughs> But seriously, I mean, you know, it was it was well, here's the thing. I could hang I could hang with Don until you put something on the line and then suddenly whoosh, I'm showing my hand getting smaller. Whoosh, like the groups. His groups would get tighter. So Don was a gamer. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. That's the type of archer I, I strive to be as a gamer. And that's the kind you want to shoot with. Right. Because that makes you get better. Right. So Yep. All right. Uh let's see here. David is enjoying the show from Ireland. Thank you, David. Could you explain point weight differences for recurve and compound? I used to shoot recurve, and I used point weight to fine-tune the arrow's dynamic spine, generally within a 20-grain range. 
Now I shoot indoor compound with archers who shoot similar spine arrows now, but they are packing up to 200 grains in the front of their arrows, whereas I have 90 grain Easton points. I would have thought this would make the spine dynamically weak and also slowed the arrow down, allowing more time for the post-release effects to take hold, regards David. All right. So, um, first we've got to talk indoor versus outdoor, and we've got to talk aluminum versus carbon. Some general rules of thumb. Point weight on a carbon arrow doesn't do all that much compared compared to point weight on an aluminum arrow. You make a 10 grain difference on an aluminum arrow, it has a substantial difference compared to a 20 or 25 or 30 grain difference on a carbon arrow. It's just a function of how the materials respond. Number one. Number two. When we're talking about recurve, the most important thing is clearance. It's trumped by things like FOC. It's you got to have good clearance. And because this, the arrow cycles the way it does, it bends laterally. Um, spine is really important. Point weight's important. And um, you'll find the arrows are fine-tunable, especially aluminums, within a very narrow range. With, uh, as you pointed out, a 20-grain range, I'm saying it's even narrower than that often. Now, with an ACE or an X10, pretty much insensitive to point weight changes within reason, within what's offered. Minimal. Minimal, minimal change. And the reason is because if you go up in point weight, you're also going up in point shank length, mm -hmm. which mechanically stiffens the front of the arrow enough to offset the mm -hmm. difference. So you end up in a net zero change. It's a wash. Right. Compound, any opinion? Um, you know what? I try not to think of, you know, well, this is this is how my bow is set up, so this should be what I need. I like to pick a spine and then try different point weights and <laughs> see whatever works. I don't care if it makes the arrow dynamically weaker, stiffer, more front of center, less front of center. There's real no magic number. All that really matters is what's going on downrange and what's happening at the target. So when I'm doing it indoors, I've been shooting the same setup for a couple of years now which is nice but when i am experimenting with it um like for instance i i was trying some full bore 270s last year shot them with 200 grain points and it was okay shot them with 250 grain points theoretically weakening the arrow and for some reason the thing came alive and they shot awesome uh was it because the arrow was weaker i doubt it because really there's no arrow too stiff for my bow setup um so I don't think it was a, a spine thing. I think it was just a matter of finding that right balance in front of center, spine, you know, all of the above. And that's just what grouped best for me. So I try not to, I mean, you can overthink this game a lot. Or you can just go out to the target and start shooting a bunch and see what works best. So just to back up to um, your question, David, about the uh, compound versus recurve thing. Honestly, when you're shooting recurve, you don't want to go too far outside of the envelope of provided FOCs, that is provided point weights. You don't need more than 120 grains, honestly. And typically, you're looking at 100 grains as being the most popular. Yeah, the be my best shooters for recurve all use 100 grains. Including most of your Koreans. Yep. Now, I've, you know, they try other stuff. Yeah. But usually when they're going back to something they're comfortable with it's a 100 grain point and that's 11 to 12 percent foc depending on how long the arrow is yeah and i and conversely i don't think i have a single compound shooter who shoots anything but 120 grains right they just load it up put them in and and shoot the bow yeah. some of those people um 
have tried heavier points. I don't think that's worked out too well, though. You, you can have such a thing as too much FOC. Right. Which leads into our next question. And this comes from uh, Robert. He says, uh, GT and Big Cat, what are the benefits, if any, to increasing FOC measurements in small diameter target arrows? Specifically, are there advantages relative to wind drift over an equivalent arrow shaft, such as an ACG 430 with a 120 grain point versus an ACG 480 with 100 grains, provided they both tune equally well? Does the lost FPS, feet per second speed, because of the heavier point, decrease or increase wind drift? Okay, interesting question. And unfortunately, the answer is it depends. Yeah, because I mean, you got not only do you have a slower arrow, but you got a heavier arrow. So it might be a wash in wind drift. It could be a wash. Even though it takes longer to get down there, it's harder to push because it's more massive. It carries its energy better. So it's going to be a wash for most people. Now, you know, your mileage may vary, but for most people, at 70 meters, let's say you're shooting a recurve, or 50 meters, you're shooting a compound, especially at 50, it's going to be a wash. Mm-hmm. 70, you might be able to pick out a difference. You're going to have an impact height difference. Yeah. Not much, though. So it's, um, yeah, it's so, again, so minimal. You probably gain more by testing different veins yeah. than you would arrows. Yes, you know? I agree. Speaking of veins, you seen those new veins that Brady's got? I he saw gave, I saw a video, yeah. He gave me some. Um, I haven't put them on arrows yet. I haven't had a chance, but uh, they're called spider veins. Doing those with the sitars, right? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. He, um, he was uh, using the XS wings, which are the wings that were made by Dayan's cousin. And this one's done by Dayan. So I don't know if he's split off or what's going on there. I don't even want to get into it, but... Um, at this time, it's basically one color. It's a little different shape and definitely a different material than the XS wing. And um, I'll give him a shot. You know, Brady's really high on them. Shot real well with them. A number of other shooters are using them. I think Toya was using one on a compound. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those on, on a compound. Anything anything designed for a recurve, don't put it on a compound. You need a little stiffness there. Yeah, well, that's Toya did not have uh, the best event. I'll put it that way. So I don't know. Brady did really well with those. Right. And so, you know, he puts his name on him. He'll sell some. Oh, yeah. Our buddy uh, Andy, who's kind of an unofficial third member of the podcast with all the great questions he sends us. I hope to someday meet Andy. Yep. Um, he's he's an interesting guy. I'll put it this way. Um, Simon Fairweather likes him, and that's a high recommendation. <laughs> okay. That qualifies him Absolutely. for you. Yes, it does. So, anyways, here we go. Um Hi, guys. It's obvious to anyone who has seen the no camouflage rule for WA competitions that this is an attempt by an oppressive dictatorship regime (laughs) to force quiet, comfortable clothing and incredibly detailed natural color schemes and patterns from high-level archery competitions. Are they attempting to attack the wallets of outdoorsmen who like to hunt and also compete, or is there another reason? Regards, Andy. You know why I like Andy? Because we're just this small-time podcast, and... And he brings the uh, the issues that are out in the big world of Facebook and social media, and he puts them in our court for us to play with. Yes, exactly. I like that. I do too. It's this is the world level controversy that we don't really deserve to <laughs> address. But uh, all right, so let's talk about this a little bit. You know what what caused this was the big Sturm und Drang of of Ankara was an American shows up. <laughs> an American shows Justin up. Justin Carter. Justin Carter, nice guy by the way. From Justin St. George or something. Yeah, right? I think he's from Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Carter shows up at the World Championships with a camouflage Matthews bow. 
Justin got his passport in like 28 hours so that he could come to go to the event. Well, that's some kind of record to get your passport yeah. that fast. So he probably can't refinish a bow that quickly. Well, he probably didn't read the rule. That too. So Justin gets there, and of course he doesn't pass equipment inspection. <laughs> or I think he realized before he went to equipment inspection that he was going to run into a problem. Okay, And U is one of the last letters. You know, we call by alphabetized country order so you have a couple hours before you have to show up for equipment inspection right during official practice if you're an american so they come up to me and they go what can we do what can we do and i say well all right go talk to so-and-so in the organizing committee he's got paint he's got some fast drying paint <laughs> so they go back and they they found some some of this stuff and this stuff dried pretty much the moment it hit the hit the bow i mean it was like you could handle the bow mel nichols was uh was handling this and uh and and mel said he was amazed how fast this in fact he was so amazed that he was wondering if this stuff was going to eat the bow because <laughs> <laughs> like those bow strings are gone yeah so anyways long story short no problem for the bow um look i don't personally know exactly why i i think i know why uh i know what wa says about it and i know what's happened in the past to make people wonder about it we had a World Cup final a few years ago in, uh, it was in Switzerland, not the latest one in Switzerland, but the one before that, and also one in Paris, and a Korean shooter of all things showed up with a camo riser, which was offered by his sponsor, Win and Win. It was a full-up camo, not a, you know, it wasn't real tree, but it was some, some military-looking camo job on this thing, and he shot the thing right in front of the IOC president. So I'm, sur- I'm sure words were said of some sort. And also, here's the thing. You know, everybody in America takes that rule and goes, oh, they're anti-hunting. No, they're not anti-hunting. You know what they're anti? Military dictatorships. Mm. You know, when, you, when the Idi Amin's of the world are standing up there in full camo, an awful lot of people in this world are oppressed by people in camo. Okay? I'm yep. just saying it like it is. If you're in Sierra Leone and you see some guy coming up to you in camo, you're scared. And I don't think they just want to be associated with that, that look, you know? I have lots of camo gear. You know, it's mostly military stuff because of what I do on the side. But I can tell you, um, I know better than to take it to a WA event because, or to or to Europe because it's not the same over there as it is over here, mm-hmm. you know? Now, I will say this. Five years ago, you could walk down the street in Shinjuku in Tokyo and you'd see fashionable young women like you do today wearing camo. It was like World War II pattern camo. Yeah, like urban know. camo types uh-huh. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be banned as well, right? But it's not because, I don't believe, I don't think it's because WA is anti-hunting. I don't think hunting even came into the picture or into the discussion. What's interesting is, according to Tom Dillon, not one manufacturer has said a word about it. Not one. Because he went to an ATA show a couple years ago and, and told each manufacturer, hey, this is what we're planning let us know if you have an issue with it. And nobody has, nobody in the manufacturing side of things has ever said a word. Now, that might just be because, you know, here's, here's the truth. Mostly, it's target bows out there. The number of camo bows that I've seen at tournaments, uh, it's infinitesimally small. Yeah, it's like, it's, if you showed up an event and there's 400 people, you'd maybe see one, even so, if the rule didn't exist. So I kind of think of it as a dress code for your bow. Yeah. You know? And you know what? USA Archery has taken steps to make sure that it doesn't hinder participation at their events, you know? Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, I've seen USA Archery in the past take some steps that were, I'll put it this way, I was at a tournament, and I had a friend come down for the tournament, and this person hadn't shot before, 
hadn't shot a, a USA archery event before. And uh, the director of shooting started torrential rain. So my friend pulls out her full Gore-Tex. She was a hunter. Pulls out her full Gore-Tex rain gear. And the judges made her turn it inside out because <laughs> it was camo. Wow. Yeah. Needless yeah. to say, this person never showed up for another event again. I mean, that, that, that was a unpleasant experience. Yeah. I mean, for USA Archery to do that when they don't even provide rain gear to the U.S. team, that's pretty sorry. You know, if you got to buy your own stuff, most of us hunt, you know, we'll just use our hunting rain gear that we already have. So, yeah. I mean, if, if that wanna, wasn't, a, that yeah. wasn't a good formula for winning friends and influencing people. No. And with that said, you know, um, there is a dress code for every country. Every country has a dress code. Every country has a, you know, a code of conduct for what you're supposed to have on the field of play and what you're supposed to wear and all that stuff. Follow the rules. Don't, uh, don't complain because the rules are being enforced. You know, they've been published. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I guess I understand some of the, uh, the outcry against this rule, but I don't know the last time I owned a camo bow either. You know, even my hunting bows are black now and I don't know. It's to me when I wear camo, when I want to kill something <laughs> and when I don't intend on killing something and having to hide from it, I don't know. I prefer a little, a little uh, neon, maybe some pastels, you know, fair some enough. colors. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. You're shooting the uh, the teal color right now, right? I got a, I, yeah, I got a myriad of colors. Oh. But I have teal currently. With the yellow highlights? I got a, I got a teal, I got an orange, and I got a yellow. So Brady is sporting something. It's got orange inside the uh, cutouts. Yeah, and the rest they of it, do. it looks like he hit it with some sandpaper or something. I can't tell what he did. Now they do it with a. It's like a paint marker. He just went in there, took a silver bow, and painted inside the. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm just wondering because uh, you know it's like Luca Mulatto with his uh, braid job that he has on his. You know, he's got some uh, paracord, fluorescent paracord that he's run down the back of his uh, formula struts. Everybody's wondering what that is. You know, it's just decoration. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> It's guaranteed to make you shoot one point better. It has to, man. You know, just if you're going to go out there and you're going to make people look at your stuff, you got to shoot at least one point better. <laughs> I suppose. Oh, we got one more question here, I think. Is that? Oh, yeah. I yep. think. Yeah, I just saw that. All right. Um, so it's from Vinny from Australia. I don't know how I feel about this question. I'll, just, I'll start with the first part. He says, you know, I'd love to hear a bit of history behind Eastern products, you know, wind products and technology introduced, et cetera. So we've we've done a pretty good job covering. Yeah, we that. talked about AC arrows. Yeah. Um, you know, we could do we could do a segment on the subject of how Doug Easton developed the uh, the original aluminum arrows. Yeah, back we, in the day, we should probably we'll, maybe we'll touch on that soon. We will. Um, he goes on to say, "Love the podcast. The way I imagine it playing out, George is sitting in front of a fireplace, smoking a pipe, flipping through old product catalogs, and rem- reminiscing all while wearing a red satin robe." No, not happening. <laughs> Not if I'm in the room. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. You arrange for Cindy Crawford to come by or somebody like that, and, yeah, we could talk, but no. So we'll just leave it at that. I know I'm dating myself by mentioning Cindy Crawford, but she's still pretty darn good looking no matter what. So oh, sure. we'll just yeah. leave it at that. All righty. Uh, where are you headed? You got Louisville coming up, don't you? Yeah. What's the deal? We are get you? to shoot five spot. Yay. Oh, yay. Five spot. Yeah, my favorite round. But oh, lordy, that's a big target. Yeah, so Isaac and I are heading to uh, to Louisville 
going to sell some shooter jerseys there. Oh, that'll be good. So if people, you know, one of the things, one of the American team coaches was really upset that they didn't have any clothing for sale in, uh, in uh, Ankara. Like an event t-shirt. They didn't have any of that. Yeah. We didn't get an event t-shirt done for Louisville, but yeah. But you know, like a hat, you know, or something, something. So you'll have, you'll have hats and you'll have uh, jerseys and shirts and whatever else Isaac brings over. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be slinging it out of the booth. So if you're headed to Louisville, say hi to Steve and Isaac at the booth, at the Easton booth. That'll be there. I will not be in Louisville. I'm headed to Bangkok, Thailand for the Asian Grand Prix. Another trip to Bangkok. Huh? Yes, yes, indeed. I hope I do better than the last time I went there. Well, that'll be good. I imagine you'll see some of the teams that uh, weren't in Ankara. Mm-hmm. Yep. They'll probably be... Uh, yeah, I was looking at the uh, roster of who's uh, who's appearing, and it's it's a who's who of... Uh, a lot of these teams are using it as one of the final selection criteria for their Rio uh, participants. Very nice. Um, some heavy hitters will not be there, but, uh, you know, there's going to be a pretty good turnout for this one. In fact, it's such a big turnout that they had to add an extra day. Well, I'm excited. I, I think this is the year we see a 700 on the recurve side. Um, maybe in Bangkok, maybe in the, depending on the wind, either Shanghai or um, Turkey. Probably not Turkey. Maybe Medellin. Maybe Medellin. Medellin is often pretty nice. And this will be Medellin's final uh, final go. Yep, final World we're, Cup We're there. getting that one here in Salt Lake afterward. Oh, man, that's next year, huh? It sure is. That's Isn't that amazing how fast that comes around? Coming up fast. I'm actually kind of looking forward to having a World Cup in our backyard again. Yeah. I don't know I don't know that I'll be shooting him anymore. Who knows, you know? I don't know if I'm going to continue to pursue the team or if I pursue it, if I'll continue to be a part of the team. So, well, you know, I'll be there in some fashion. Oh, you'll definitely be there, you know, hawking t-shirts or something, (laughs) one thing or another. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nice that we'll have that opportunity and, uh, you know, be able to show off the new Easton center, which I think people are going to really like when they, when they get to see it, everybody that's been there really loves it. More teams are signing up to uh, stage for the Rio games. Um, you know, try to spend some time there and, uh, it's a, it's just a great facility. So that'll be It'll be awesome to have coming those. up quick, man. It's just one fun thing after another. Yeah, this and whole year, you know, we kind of went through uh, the marketing team's schedule for the year, and I think I have a, a weekend uh, or maybe two in April, and from then on, it's like I'll be back in September. Yeah, I've got a similar schedule here. You know, on the product side, I've got I've got meetings with suppliers, and I've got a deal with uh, about seven projects that we have going on right now on the target side of things i don't know if we'll deliver all of them this year but you know new arrows and new accessory items and clint's working on his you know plans for new bow cases and cool stuff that he's gonna create and you know it's just uh, never never slows down around here it's awesome i i got some interesting stuff that may make an appearance here in the next month or so what's some some prototype items but you can't share that right now no no we'll we'll wait will we see any of those in louisville no, we won't have it by then. All right. We won't have it ready. All right. But. Oh, by the way, um, there's been some chatter about whether we're going to do Contour CS side rods. The answer is yes. Oh, yeah. We are doing Contour CS side rods. Sometime in the next couple of months, they'll be available. Very nice. Um, by the way, people have questions, and they've been faithfully sending them in, and we really appreciate that because that turns out to be half the show now. Podcast at EastonTP.com is our email address. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Anderson 88. Steve Anderson 88. 
or at Steve Anderson eight eight on Twitter. And yours? Uh, G T E K M I T C H O V G Techmachov. My first initial and given name. You're a pretty active tweeter. Sometimes. I've been. I tweeted at pro. I hit one three hundred fifty one yards on Friday. Mm. And I tweeted to Project X Golf about it. Mm. I said, "Here you go, dudes." It was. It was. I destroyed the ball. I yeah. I've, I got retweeted by um, World Archery a few times. Very this nice. past week, you know, yeah. I, I took some photos from my vantage point as the announcer for the World Indoor, right? So I had some nice photos available. And, um, you know, it's interesting who picks up tweets, right? I, I've done a couple tweets from my motorcycle and at Honda retweet those. Yeah. And, and that gives you a lot of reach. Right. It's kind of interesting when that happens. Well, it's just cool. And, you know, that's what a good social media manager does is they reach out to those who are reaching out to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And some companies do a good job of it. Yeah. It's... Uh, when, when I was at Hoyt, that was specifically what I did. I tried to just, you know, find people who were, you know, tagging us and stuff and tagging yeah. back, hey, cool target. And there is cool an deer. Eastern Target Archery tweeter, tweet, tweet page, Twitter page, tweeter, tweet. Yeah. I'm There's not, an Eastern Archery Target one. I, I was not aware of that. There is. Do we know the password? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, no, it's stored on my iOS device, I guess. And then we've got, uh, we, you know, what we do have also is that Facebook page, the Easton Archery Target. Yeah, we Good. need to get a little more active there. I want you to fire the guy that, uh, that named it that. Easton Archery Target is what it is. Yeah. I think I'm going to get an Instagram page going, too. I like that idea. We'll we'll let you know what that's I don't I don't be. do much of the Instagram stuff, but that's I could where learn. It's, that's where the world's heading. That's Instagram. my impression. I, I keep I'm hearing about that. Not a big fan of the Facebook anymore. I've been seeing. Oh, I've never been a fan of Facebook. I don't have my own Facebook. Uh, you do though. I Steve yeah. Anderson Archery, right? Oh, the page. Yes, my Facebook profile, personal profile. I haven't. I'm not. No, too but you got there. content there. Yeah, on my on my page. Yeah, I do. So I'm you know, to keep stuff going there once in a while. I was looking at some. Um, I was looking at some numbers, and Facebook is still pretty big for world archery, believe it or not. You know, I was kind of surprised to see that. It's um, th- the numbers that, that world archery has on Facebook outnumber their YouTube followers by a big number. And it was, it was quite, quite impressive, the difference. Um, they have something like a quarter million views on Facebook for their archery fan reporter stuff, for example. So that was kind of interesting. You know that they have that much uh, of a following there, and um, you know, for example, they did a, a particular video d- did thirty four thousand five hundred views on Facebook, and fifty four hundred thirty four thousand versus fifty four hundred Facebook versus YouTube. Huh. And I have no clue how that SEO stuff works, or you know, there's there's some formula that you know Facebook uses to promote certain videos and whatever. Yeah. So I, you know, it's all way above my pay grade. I have no yeah, idea how this stuff goes. Yeah, it's probably not interesting podcast fodder either. Probably not. So we'll drop the subject real quick here. Should we just end the show? I think we could end the show. Let's end the show. All right, everybody. End of show. <laughs>